This is Geek Gab with your hosts, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, September 17th, 2022. We'd like to welcome everyone back to the show. And, and, and uh, by everyone, we mean everyone. Um, let's see. Everyone except people who put pineapple on pizza. How about that? Everyone except those guys. Man, you're a real gatekeeper. We are gatekeepers now. <laughs> pineapple pizza lovers, not welcome. <laughs> so, uh... What's your what's your pizza theory? I, we've eaten pizza together many many times. What's everybody has a prefer, prefer preference or a style of pizza that they like? What's your pizza style? This is the dumbest start to a show we've ever had. I love it. Oh, my preferred pizza is meat lovers pizza on a thin crust. I I love crunchy cracker like crust. See, I'm I'm a I'm different. Of course, I like a Neapolitan pizza. Uh, on the thinner side, but uh, sort of not cracker crust. It's got to have chew to it. And uh, I like one meat. Uh, I like one meat to be the star of the show. And and I, I'm not too picky on which meat it is, as long as the rest of the toppings and the sauce and everything go with it. But for me, it's got to have an amazing crust and, uh, and one meat. Miss me with the watery vegetarian pizza. I don't want none of that. I, I don't even know what the heck Neapolitan pizza is. Literally no idea. Uh, the uh, it's it's a medium to thin crust, and it's not like I said it's not cracker, but it's chewy. Uh, New York pizza is Neapolitan, or at least largely influenced uh, from Naples. New Haven pizza. So New York City, New Haven, also known as the best pizza in the world. Fight me. Uh, Neapolitan. You want to know why? Sure. Because all of the Italian immigrants who came to New York City were from Naples? You bet. You win the prize. I, wow. I actually learned, I actually, I had to look that up after uh, a visit to Italy. I went to a few cities in Italy. It was just, it was like a quick trip here and there and uh of all the pizzas i tried though pizza in naples was my favorite and i noticed that it was the most like the pizza i grew up with and when you grow up in the northeast you're a pizza snob it's that simple um and i had to look it up afterwards and i found it out i was like oh yeah you know the communities the ellis islanders that settled in uh new york city area you know brooklyn and new haven Mostly from Naples. The Sicilians <laughs> well, ended go. up in New Jersey. The Sicilians ended up in New Jersey. Uh, so that's how you end up with uh, amazing seafood in New Jersey. If you go to an Italian place in New Jersey, get the seafood. It's also how you ended up with the Sopranos. Yes. Actually, I was just thinking that. that. Yeah. It, it's also how you ended up with what waste management companies in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was going to yeah. be a little bit more subtle with that point, but yeah. But we don't we don't uh, we don't do subtle here. Um, so we've uh, we've gone over hating on uh, people's pizza preferences, 
Uh, chat's joining in. Carlos Crasco says, roasted garlic and pepperoni on thin crust. I think you and DW might get along. I don't know. Uh, roasted garlic is actually really good on pizza if you can get it really, really thin sliced. I mean, like, you know, that wafer thinness that's almost transparent is just really translucent. Uh, it has enough flavor to be really good. Listen to me. I'm like a hipster up in here. Man, <laughs> didn't I do hipster last week? Or was well, that that's just why, on Twitter? This is why I, I brought it up, because everybody ultimately does have their own sort of pizza uh, preference. Um, and, and we get passionate about it because it's delicious. It is. Pizza is great. Add some, uh, add some school luncheon pizza last week. Um, and you know what I'm talking about. That's like just that kind of thick crust that's not quite cooked all the way. Yeah, and all, all I all I see are the pools of grease coming off the pepperoni, but go ahead. But yeah, and this one doesn't have pepperoni. It just has like round or or, or cylindrical breakfast sausage that's been sliced uh into you know not quite thin uh pieces and then just scattered across the whole pizza. That's that's lunchroom pizza. And so when uh, somebody posted a picture of this and they were like, man, I wish I could go back to the lunchroom sometimes. I wish they ordered on, on uh, you know, Dash Pass was what they said, uh, or DoorDash. Uh, and I was like, that was actually the exact day I had just had, or the day after I had just had um, lunchroom pizza. And I was like, yeah, you know, I've had this and it's, it's, it's pizza. It certainly mm. is. It is what I describe as Carol Burnett pizza because of her famous quote. Do you remember her famous pizza quote? I don't. Uh, pizza is like, I'm going to amend this for our family friendly audience. Pizza is like making love. It's so good that even when it's bad, it's good. <laughs> I'm so, gonna... <laughs> That's wrong on both counts, but I love the quote. <laughs> um, so this was definitely Carol Burnett pizza. That's, that's why I use the quote. It was bad pizza, but it was actually good. So it was still good. So, yeah. Wow, someone's got an entire recipe in the chat. Oh, yeah? Yeah, look at the chat. <laughs> Two types, one with pepperoni, mushrooms, green red pepper, lots of mozzarella, black olives. I'm down. See, that's that's my kind of pizza. You pick one, one meat and add some other toppings to complement that meat. That's how it's done. All right. So, so uh, moving on from pizza. By the way, I do. I love pizza, uh, and someday I'd love to try that casserole uh, pizza from. I think Detroit is that where they get casserole pizza from. I don't know. I'm not familiar with that one. Detroit pizza. It's big and it's like an inch and a half thick. 
You might that might be Detroit, but you might be thinking of the Chicago deep dish. Oh, Chicago deep dish. That's it. Casserole pizza. Yeah. I've never had Chicago pizza. So someday I'd like to try that just to see. I mean, I could only have like two bites, but you know, I'd love to try it someday. My my life has been radically replumbed since uh since the shrinkening. So yeah, I'd like to try it. I'd like to um, try it. We we one more one last thing. We have a vote for Alaskan pizza from the chat. Brian thinks that we should go up to Juno. Right, Brian, if Brian, yeah, Brian describes Alaskan pizza, then uh, we will pass it on to the world to let them know why it's so great. Um, so somebody wanted to catch up on Trollopolis. Oh yeah, we should talk about D and D. So something happened right after. Or the same weekend as last week's show. Oh, yeah. And we didn't get a chance to talk about it because I don't think we knew about it at the time of last week's show. No. I I think uh, when – I remember it was definitely after the show. Uh, was it Sunday or Monday that we finally knew what happened? Or we don't know no, what I'm, happened. I'm pretty sure it was Saturday night. Uh or Sunday, because I was on Twitter when it first got announced. Um, so we have a patron. His name is uh, – I'm sorry. His name is Macho Mandolf. Mm-hmm. He is a swolserer, which means those wizards who end up with really high strength and or – constitution scores so they're big and buff wizards uh, and his name is macho man Dolph yep so uh, he has a nice city a nice domain he's been taken care of for a long time he's very well set very well protected got a lot of good things going on he's been taking care of it in ways the other patrons in the campaign haven't to the best of my knowledge, been taking care of a settlement like this. Now, they've been doing other things, I presume. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, somebody drops five MERV, and that means multiple independent reentry vehicles. Uh, So it's a uh, modern nuclear missile. Warheads, five Merv warheads on the top of minus Mandolf and um, several targets along uh, close to him that are his part of his 30 mile hex that he has cleared out. So There are mushroom clouds, there is devastation, and there are plumes of radioactive fallout heading all across the terrain. And this is shocking for a couple of reasons. One, there are PCs and henchmen in the city who are either dead 
uh, or if they got shelter, they have to deal with radiation, and they're dealing with radiation from first edition Gamma World, which means either dying of radiation poisoning or gaining mutations. So randomly load rolled mutations and becoming mutants. And then um, besides the PC deaths, which are, of course, the most important thing, uh, there was also my question, because one of the places that got doused with radioactive fallout was a place called Numi's Tower, which is where a dragon, a copper dragon friendly to minus Mandolf was living. And my question was, can dragons get mutations? Which we'll just put that in the background right now. <laughs> and of course, there were all the NPCs who were also dying and getting mutations. And one of the prime central Adventuring, er adventuring areas of the campaign had been wrecked. But then, through some machinations that have yet to be officially revealed, but which I and my co-host my fellow hosts have done some thinking on, which we'll talk about in just a sec. All of a sudden, and this is player knowledge, not character knowledge. None of the characters are aware of it. Reality twisted and time changed in reverse. So that Minus Mandolf was never hit uh, with a nuclear blast, and that all unhappened. And the nuclear weapon instead landed on the werewolf cave, which we have previously discussed, and which we have mentioned there being a high tech. base or a section of a high-tech bunker at the bottom of and in there being many binders with paper instructions in them which none of us could read. And so a nuclear missile landed on top of that cave and thoroughly destroyed it, at least from anybody's, to anybody's knowledge. So 
hereby the speculations. Absolutely insane. It was pointed out during the last game session that it had to be a wish that turned the missile back and rewrote time like that. Because only wishes could do that. So uh, it's it's insane. I love it. Uh, macho man, macho Mandalf rather, macho Mandalf uh, used a wish to save the to save the city, so that all the PCs didn't die. I he's got to be the only one who remembers what happened. He's got to be able to. Or he's got to be tracking down the culprits if they're still alive. One would think that he would be the only one who remembers. Absolutely. And with a properly worded wish, he could say something as simple as, I wish this weapon had hit the culprit instead. Very, very simple wish. And if that control room at the bottom of the werewolf cave had been the control room left over from an ancient nuclear war that we have seen signs of in other places on the map, then whoever gained knowledge of how to use that control room could have launched the nuclear weapons at the places we've seen, but had that nuclear weapon all of a sudden turn back on them. And that's a fairly simple wish. Simply worded, not complex. And it would have turned back on them and blown them to smithereens. Or it might have simply, it might have simply created a massive crater locking them into a steel room with no supplies, no food, or only the food they came with, only a little water, and no way out. They are to starve to death unless they can come up with some ingenious solution to get out of there 
and get into a massive radioactive crater. Hey, you know what they say. If you come at the kink, you best not miss. (laughs) So that's the current news from Trilopolis. Uh, Absolutely insane development because we're just uh, like Bradford Walker in the chat mentioned, like we're gearing up for Brovenloft. We're, we're trying to figure out, okay, uh, what are the what are we gonna do in October? Like, how do we get our characters in position to adventure in in Brovenloft? What are the patrons up to? We're enjoying the shit posts on Twitter from all the different uh, patrons, the faction patrons, and and then this happened. What is going on? Now, my original guess. Uh, we see nuclear craters are the ancient, ancient remnants of them all the way to the west in the areas of the five cities. My guess was that there had been an ancient war and that there could be a control room out in the area of the five cities mm-hmm. um, of people who had nukes ready to retaliate. And in point of fact, um, there would might be a surviving silo out that way of the people on the other uh, of uh, on one side of this uh, conflict. But that was before we reckoned with before we reckoned with uh, where the missile landed. And what kind of wish Macho Mandolf might have used to get all that out of the way? And man, Macho Mandolf, uh, he's the only one who knows now because of, because of the wish. Like you said, we're using pure player knowledge. Which is, uh, according to, I think, Gygax himself, elite gamer. <laughs> Literally said that it is elite gaming. Use those very terms. Uh, to use player knowledge. <laughs> we posted that a few months back. Uh, what is Brovenlock? Uh, oh, yeah. So somebody made a joke, and I missed the original joke. So uh, somebody made a joke that for Halloween, the... Uh, uh, the Bro SR should do another Bronstein because the first Bronstein was in July of last year. They joked that we should do another Bronstein to uh, because it's been so long since we did the first one. The first one was so much fun, and now we've gained so much insight into it. Where we had a bunch of patrons on a map uh, so that all three campaigns we've had a limited crossover between the three bro sr campaigns uh so the all three bronze uh, all three campaigns could cross over again in this big mega event where patrons from all three campaigns evil patrons from all three campaigns could come together in a place that was mildly reminiscent of 
but legally distinct from uh, Ravenloft. And it's not so much that we're using first edition rules, it's that two campaigns are running under Axe rules. And two campaign and one campaign is running under AD and D rules. Um, so we had a bunch of evil patrons from and it, and it went from joke to everybody picking territory. It went from joke to people picking patrons and memes in like two days. And it went to people picking sides and engaging in meme warfare on Twitter in a week. And when the map came out, uh, courtesy of Kestis, uh, of Kess, who is running the thing, um, and so he made up the map by random ter terrain generation using AD&D rules in the Dungeon Master's Guide, um, to people picking spots they wanted on the map. And we talked about, uh, talked about patrons last week. So if you want to know about some patrons, you can go listen to last week's show, because we talked about it a lot last week. I'm not going to repeat all that. Um, picking terrain and actual patrons taking patron actions in another week. And we've had PCs now adventuring in Brovenloft for the last two weeks. So, yeah, it, it went from joke to playing. When it was supposed to start in October, we were already playing in it on the 8th. Of September. Hence my uh, hence my announcement for today's show being three campaigns, two months, one demi-plane of the dead. Now, you may wonder what I mean by demi-plane of the dead, because you can say but Warpig. But Warpig. What happened Here, to your mind? Why? Why do you call it? You know, the demi-plane of the dead and not the demi-plane of dread. And my first response would be, C, legally distinct from earlier in the show. But that wasn't the real reason. The real reason was, is our adventuring party entered Brovenloft with seven characters and is now down to four. <laughs> in two <Whoops>. weeks. <laughs> It's already it's already claimed uh, henchmen and two PCs. We're only halfway through September, folks. We are 
desperately searching, desperately searching for reinforcements in Brovenloft. It is my fate, my fate as a player, to announce good ideas and smart ideas and to continually have Jeffro harangue me for the good and smart ideas and then them later turn out to be the good and smart ideas that they are. In this case, uh, Jeffro was haranguing me. We, we were in Twin Peaks. And while in Twin Peaks, we got SUVs at my insistence. That's not what he harangued me for. Everybody was everybody was down with that. And we took a ride out to just go exploring um, and realized that we, you know, our gas was kind of limited, but we measured our, how long we could go with gas so we could still turn about and go back to Twin Peaks and get refills of gas. Mm. Um. And we got out to this mill that had burned down in a fire. And we went to explore it. And we noticed there were stairs down into the basement of the mill. We went down into the mill. And it seemed like there had been an actual dungeon that had appeared in this mill. And so, like any brave band of stupid adventurers, we went into the basement of the mill and started exploring. And we found a crown, and I said, don't do that. It's we a trap. It. We did it. We did it. It was a trap, but not in the way that you think. <laughs> <laughs> and we lost two characters. Uh, oh, actually, no, we only lost one character in the trap or in the basement of this building. Uh, we dropped down to the third level of the dungeon. And uh, we lost a member of a party to a five-headed pyrohydra, two of them. We found a bunch of treasure and we came out and my character says... We should go south to where the Pope is, because there's a Pope in Brovenloft who is ostensibly lawful good and fighting the evil of Brovenloft. Sounds like a great place to hang out. Sounds like a great place to hang out for a couple reasons. One, we found some magic items, which are, uh, if you look at this identify spell in first edition, you have basically up to eight hours to identify those items and then nada. You can't cast identify on them anymore. You just have to try and figure out what they are in by using them and guessing. So we had to get to some place where somebody could identify them. Toot sweet. And 
So the haranguing was me saying we need to get down south to the Pope. And Jeffro was yelling, who said we should go down south to the Pope? <laughs> and I said, me, because of identify. But also because the only place we're going to get adventurers from, AD&D adventurers, is from an AD&D adventurer city, specifically <laughs> a lawful good one. Because we need to show up our ranks, don't get me wrong. Only having four adventurers to split um, treasure and experience among was great. That was nice. Hey, hey I, I, I experienced two weeks ago, I experienced the uh, awfulness of not being able to play. So the more the merrier. I'd rather share the XP and the treasure. Let everybody play. Really good thinking. That was some elite, elite <laughs> metagaming, Warpig. Uh, yeah, so Twin, Peaks, Twin Peaks is a great place to get bullets and cherry pie and coffee and gasoline. But uh, if you're looking to replace your fallen party members, maybe go, go to the Vatican and pick up some clerics. Um, and, and it was nice getting to the Vatican because we had driven up a road and through some hills and stuff to get to the mill. Um, but driving down out of the hills was pretty easy in our, uh, you know, in our big four by four SUVs up on jacked up tires, big off-road tires. And to drive to the Vatican, we drove through, uh, two hexes of grassland. Basically we drove out of the hills and across a hex of grassland. It was only 24 miles. So yeah, it was nice. Um, Driving back, we're probably going to get ambushed by big Brovenloft monsters. Oh, should we tell how one of our characters died because of uh, because our party made a bad and poor and poor and bad decision? Absolutely. You would think it, that experienced adventurers like us wouldn't do this. But when we were approaching the mill, um, we had to leave the vehicles behind and travel on foot or, or on, on the way. Um, we, uh, we were investigating something besides the mill. We found a side road where a um, truck carrying logs had been tipped over, right? It was a wreck. We decided, oh, hey, it looks like this road connects to the road that we were on. So I suggested we send two drivers and an escort or two to get the trucks and bring it back, and we'll scout ahead. So we sent the ranger to scout ahead, and and don't get me wrong, I suggested it. Uh, I, I did suggest splitting the party, but I also suggested that we split it into two groups and follow the ranger. Um, well, the ranger went ahead and spotted a body you know, lying in the wreckage of the cab. And he decided to take his head off. Better safe than sorry, right? Well, I think better safe than sorry probably would have been to come back to the rest of us and report what he found. But because he advanced with his sword, it turns out that it was a zombie or a ghast in D&D parlance. Um, uh, who, uh, and despite his best efforts to hack its head off, it paralyzed and ate the ranger and so the rest of us 
show up a couple minutes later, uh, investigate the wreckage uh, to find this poor thing, you know, the, or this this thing eating poor Stan's head. Uh, we dispatch it right away. So that's where we lost our first PC. Um, with the classic split the party move. Uh, and we doubled down on that by uh, having our scout both out of eyesight of the rest of the party and choosing to engage by himself instead of uh, retreating. Um, that was a, that was a one, two, three punch of doom for a PC. Like I said, you think we'd be smarter than that, but hey, we split the treasure only four ways, right? So anyways, that was fun. I like talking about session reports. It's better than typing up a WordPress thing like a lot of other people's do. And the paladin henchman got eaten by a zombie, right? Pal paladin henchman got eaten by a zombie. Okay. Um, so as you can see, Brovenloft is a appropriately broven lofty uh it may have started as a you know as a joke and it really is you know it, it really is a meanie it's all memes but uh that doesn't mean we're not serious about the adventuring either <laughs> <laughs> lots of people Lots of fun. Lots of fun. People getting at, people getting fried with uh, pyrolisk breath. Um, yeah, we're... Oh, and another thing, for anybody who's running a game, if you have to try running AD&D Dungeon by the book and try Appendix A. Uh, because the dungeon we investigated, Treasures, Traps, and Hydras all, all came out of Appendix A. Uh, weird twisty turns, doors that seemingly went nowhere. Uh, uh, and then all of a sudden, around after a really quiet run, we get dropped down a chute three levels. And around the corner, get ambushed by two Hydras, right? Really exciting, really fun completely oh. randomly generated from appendix a if, if you're a game master i'm telling you try it i've been saying pyrolisks they're not pyrolisks they're pyrohydras yeah yeah my bad yeah they each had six heads and and breathe fire uh, if if we we were able to create i don't remember if you mentioned the choke point we were able to create a choke point to so that only one head could attack us every round, uh, which without that, I, we certainly would have lost one or two more people, if not a whole wipe. Oh, yeah, that was a party wipe waiting to happen. That would have easily killed all of us if we hadn't gotten that choke point set up. Mm -hmm. we, Good we were all going to die. <laughs> That was a that was a no XP no treasure moment until we retreated inside the door and they couldn't get through. Man, 
anybody who survived was looking at a at a bad session. Mm -hmm. uh, we also got out with a nice tool case full of tools. So there's that. Let's move on. Absolutely. Warpig, you had some stuff you wanted to talk about. Why don't you tell me how your week was? Well, my week was uh, I watched Netflix's Resident Evil. <laughs> the one that was the one that was just canceled after one season. Was it canceled? It was canceled. Oh, Last and uh, to follow that up, I watched Thor: Love and Thunder. Also and should have been canceled. I am still watching She-Hulk: Attorney at Law. And also Rings of Power. But um <laughs> Shame on you, Warpig. You shouldn't do that to yourself. But I've heard Edge Runners on uh Netflix. It's a uh Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven the video game uh anime series that I'm hearing good things about on Twitter, so uh, I might uh, hearing good things about from people I trust. Our logo for the show was made by a gent called Kukuruyo. And he is singing praises of the show. And a bunch of other people are too. So I had I didn't have a chance to watch that this week, but uh, I'm hoping to get a chance to watch that. Um, so there is hope on the horizon. And I also watched The Northman. Mm. And then played D&D. &D. So the week ended good. Um, Love and Thunder actually had a good story that was absolutely ruined by the movie. Who do tell? Uh... My review of the movie is Thor Love and Thunder had a good story that was ruined by the movie. The movie ruins itself. It's not, not a good movie. Don't go see it. Anything I could point to that was good in the movie would be misleading you into thinking that it's worth watching. I feel I have covered all the things about the movie that an, a potential audience member would need to know. <laughs> there is literally nothing else about the movie you need to know. All I needed, all well... All I needed to know was the people who made it, and I'm good. Let me tell you the biggest tragedy of the movie, though. Okay. It has Christian Bale in it. And he's in there for like 10 minutes at the beginning and like five minutes at the end. Hmm. You're bringing bringing Christian Bale into the MCU 
And he's the bad guy, by the way. He's the villain. So you know what happens to villains in Marvel movies, right? Uh-huh. So I'm not spoiling anything to say that he's the villain in the Marvel movie. And you don't even use your villain? Like at all? You know how Thanos throughout the Thanos movies is shown, or the Thanos movie is shown like advancing his plot by doing things? Yep. Or like Loki, Loki in Infinity War flits around doing things that the Avengers have to stop him, right? Mm -hmm. Great use of a villain. He's all the way throughout the movie, so he gets to do villain things. No. No, not Christian Bale. He's just there for a little bit in the beginning of the movie and then disappears for the entire rest of the movie. You waste him. Waste a Christian Bale. You might as well have just hired, you know, a no-name actor. It's a good point. Uh, you don't need a cameo from a... Uh, a, an A-lister. Uh, Bale's more like a B-list guy uh, to do that. Are, are there any A-lists anymore? I digress. Yeah, might as well have brought Sean Connery out of retirement. It would have been that big a waste of talent. <laughs> well, you'd have to you'd have to cast Ray's Dead on Sean Connery, unfortunately. But did I he die? Point, he did. He did. He died last year. Oh. Or, or 2020. I'm so sick. I know. I know. All of our heroes are passing. Somebody was talking about how much they loved a movie yesterday. Um, Shawshank Redemption. They're talking about Shawshank Redemption. And what they're saying was, now I realize some of you are too young to have watched uh, TMC, I think. To have seen the Shawshank Redemption and basked in its glory. To watch mm. TMC in the 2000s and bask in its glory. And I'm like, dude, I saw it in the theater. Bask in its glory. Anyways, moving on. Resident Evil. You're in, a, uh, in the future of the Resident Evil universe. That is... Um, it's 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 canceled and any of you who wanted to see it could have already seen it and the spoiler statute of limitations has been brought down to uh negative one days now <laughs> i'm not kidding people have spoiled things before they're even out um so i'm going to talk uh, some spoilers about this and rest assured, anything I accidentally compliment is not intended as an endorsement of the show. I'm not saying you should watch it. Resident Evil set in the future of the Resident Evil universe because the Resident Evil games you know happened in 1998, including nuking the city. And apparently, despite all the fallout that comes from an airburst over an American city, Nobody, if you saw HBO's uh, Chernobyl, 
You remember how all these scientists got a raised, you know, radiation count through their windows and immediately figured out Chernobyl had gone critical and stuff. No, nobody ever figured out that there had been an airburst over, you know, Raccoon City. Nobody figured that out. Mm. They all just bought that it was a, a reactor something or other. Uh-huh. So, I mean, that's not a weakness with the show. That's a weakness with the video games, too. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in a place called New Raccoon City, which is built in South Africa. Um, that's my best South African accent. I gleaned that accent from watching uh, Lethal Weapon 2 too many times. Um, I really wish I could say free South Africa, you dumb son of a bitch. But <laughs> that is beyond my talents. Um, <laughs> that's a great scene, though. I'm remembering that great scene and comparing it to Resident Evil in my head, and Resident Evil is not coming off very well. Um, So you have a Resident Evil TV show set in a place called New Raccoon City, and you're splitting it between a timeline that is 2022 in New Raccoon City So, you know, 24 years after the original Resident Evil games, uh, which are all canon, apparently, the original games, not the, you know, Resident Evil 4 and Resident Evil 5 and such. Uh, Definitely not Resident Evil 6. And a girl gets bitten by an infected dog and is going zombie... And the virus is getting out, and you're splitting it with a timeline in which the world has gone zombie apocalypse like 15 years later. And what is the one thing, the one thing, the only thing that the audience wants to see? In this whole mess in New Raccoon City, what do they want? Yeah, me. They want to see a zombie outbreak. Of course. They want to see people fighting other people and the zombie outbreak slowly happen. And they want to see these two girls escape. From the city, especially since one of them says continually, oh, yes, that year was the year. (gasps) Tragic glance to the side. I lost my sister. Oh, no. (laughs) So they want to see a zombie out. In New Raccoon City, because the zombie 
The girl is made into a zombie. And they want to see this new T-virus-based antidepressant that if you take enough to almost poison an elephant, I'm serious. It, it says if you take literally 10,000 times, that's the exact figure they use in the show, 10,000 times the normal dose, you turn into a zombie. And this is considered an actual project uh, product flaw. I'm sorry, lady. Anybody who is taking 10,000 thousand pills at once and these are large pills they're lozenges they're about the same size as a cough drop that is literally not a problem with a product okay anybody taking ten thousand lozenges at once is going to tear their stomach open before they zombify okay that is not a realistic worry I mean, yes, theoretically speaking, that could happen. But no, this is joy. It's the perfect, it's the perfect psychological pill. It cures um, depression, it cures uh, schizophrenia, it cures literally every mental condition people have. And the worry that umbrella has is that someone will someday stuff 10,000 lozenges down their stomach and somehow survive and maybe turn into a zombie and set off the zombie apocalypse. This is a real plot point in the real show that goes through the entire season now i'm sorry it's presented as if umbrella is an evil corporation for being willing to sell joy that at ten thousand lozenge level people will zombify now hmm. maybe i'm crazy maybe i'm out to to lunch here do you think that sounds like a reasonable worry? Mm, no. I mean, it doesn't get you high, so there's no reason to crush it up and concentrate it. And even if you concentrated it, you would have like three 50-gallon drums, I swear, of liquid, or at least one 50-gallon drum of liquid to drink. You can't drink that. So anyways, sorry, the 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 resin, you know, the, the T virus is is not at this concentrate. It's not that's so stupid. <laughs> um I love hearing this because because my brother went through the Resident Evil show uh more or less as soon as it was available. And that's all he ever said. Asked him about it. Hey, are you still watching that? He's like, it's so stupid. Um, but, but, but to finish off the thought about what people wanted, I can assure you that at no time during the entire series 
did they have a zombie outbreak in New Raccoon City? The one thing, the one thing people wanted, they didn't do. Now, I don't know why this has become such a thing in modern reboots where they still feel the need to take the one thing the audience wants and just never do it, ever. What did the audience want in The Force Awakens? Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Princess Leia on the screen again together. And they didn't do that. The absolute yeah. utter morons. Yeah, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna share this uh, this tweet in a second. That reminds me of a great tweet that came out uh, last year. It made the rounds on the internet. It's exactly like you're talking about. Um, guy says, back in the day, if you did a TV show called Surf Dracula. You'd see that fool surfing every week in new adventures. But in the streaming era, the entire first season got to be a long-ass flashback to how he got the surfboard until you finally get to see him surf for five minutes in the finale. (laughs) Absolutely nailed it. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, that 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 that's this show. Is there anything redeeming about it? Uh, honestly, yeah, there are some good things about the season. I'm not going to tell you about them because that would be misleading. That would mislead you into thinking that I am somehow endorsing this show, and and we're out of time anyway. Not <laughs> bad, actually. You still it's got crap. To- Don't watch it. Till we hear. Till we hit the. Uh, hour so i talked about thor love and thunder right yep don't see it's it. crap don't watch it resident uh, evil it's crap don't watch it yep uh so the northman oh this is a great movie it really is oh i thought you'd like it um but then again i liked uh the the bitch um i think i put an extra v in there um, it's a double V. That's how you spell it. It's a double V. I think that was typography from the time because we called the we called WW, but it was really at the time in which the typography for you was V. So when people wrote which back in the time of which, it literally was two V's. Yeah, um, and, and and it became two U's. You so, can just see you can see some really old printing. It's just Two capital U's next to each other. So The Witch, which was by the same director, was phenomenal. I, I just was bowled over. Um, I guess technically you'd kind of call them artsy movies. You'd call them art flicks. Um, uh-huh. But they're both just so spectacularly done. I mean, I cannot tell you how much I love this movie. And 
Um, well, okay. What's one thing you loved about it? Just one thing. I loved that. I loved that it was a retelling of Hamlet without being a boring retread of the Shakespearean tale. It goes in very different places than Hamlet went, such that I was always surprised by the plot. I was surprised by how it developed when I said, oh, this is the next thing that's coming up in Hamlet. Again, just from familiarity with the Shakespearean tale. Uh, and I'm not claiming to have been, you know, a big Shakespearean scholar because I'm not. Uh, I had just seen the play once and the Mel Gibson movie. So, you know, I'm not trying to put on airs here. Um but as soon as I thought that, the show went in a completely different direction, and I, I loved that. Um, just truly, truly loved that. Um, and especially the ending, I loved how it was truly a Viking tale and not an Elizabethan England tale, that it was Hamlet in the Viking area, even though he wasn't, you know, he was a, a Denmark, a Dane, the Prince of Danes. Um, but at that time, Danes were, you know, Vikings as well. All the Scandinavian uh, countries were, it just, and it was so infused with the culture and the ethos of, uh, of the Danes and the Vikings, just like the witch was so infused with the culture and the ethos of, uh, I guess the pilgrims was where it was set among. Um, I, I love that he was so honest with it, that he just, uh, presented that culture the way it was within the context of that culture and wasn't so wasn't tied up in modern uh politically correct judgmentalism he just presented them on their own terms he didn't try to dress it up he just told the story uh, honest honestly told the story yeah i mean their culture does some abhorrent heinous things but that's according to their values he just told the story and you could see them being humans having grown up in this culture and see them trying to live up to the values of this culture um I thought that it's, was fabulous. It's it's great. And and what I mean by honest in that situation, you know, you talk about the how strange and, and different the culture is. Um you can you can see the what the what the people do and sort of try to understand and evaluate what they're doing. You you say, Wow, that's you know the look look at all the slaves that they have. Look at you know the way they treat the way they treat the slaves or they treat the women or the way they treat the such and such or whatever, you know, wow. Like that's, you know, that's, 
these are things that I don't think are good, but it's, you're actually, you feel like you're actually watching those people in those activities and it's not a trick of storytelling or music or camera work or anything like that. Like they're not using, you know, they're not using, you know, quote unquote, the language of cinema to, you know, make this one the bad guy or that they are, but it's, it's not, um, you know, the, the standard propaganda Hollywood where, you know, the person who's the good guy or the protagonist, he spouts some philosophy or belief or something like that. And then you see him succeed, right? It's not propaganda in that sense. You know, nobody, no, no character in the film is a mouthpiece for um, something that the um, author or the director is trying to tell you. Uh, they, they, the characters are genuinely just interacting with each other, and you just get to watch it unfold as a story. That's what I mean by honest. The uh, camera work is very deliberate and direct and matter of fact, um, and it doesn't. And I'm going to say this in a very qualified way because I have to go one step beyond. The camera work doesn't play obvious tricks uh, to make you feel sympathy for any one character or another. Um, it will be focusing on square. I mean, it is square all the time. So that characters are looking directly at the camera when they're talking to another character. And when you have a reverse shot in, in the times you do, it's square on with the other character and it's square on framing a scene just like it was a completely emotionless observer. Like it's a robot just standing there that doesn't care what's going on. It's just showing you what's going on. And then when it needs to shift to show you additional information, it just moves until that additional information is in the, uh in the shot and then it just stops right there it is very deliberate and unemotional it does not make dramatic swoops um you know uh michael bay is famous for his low telephoto lens shots that are glamour shots that make uh the characters in them look cool that make them look like they're in a you know, that amp up the drama of the scene. The camera work in this movie does everything it can to not amp up the drama of the scene. The events in the movie themselves are what makes or breaks the drama in the scene. And it is so mind-blowing uh, to watch this matter-of-fact neutral camera work as much as possible the camera work is completely neutral and i would have to watch the entire movie again just paying attention only to the camera work to see if there are are is another level to the camera work beyond just the neutrality to see if there is something else that he does in the lighting or the music or more subtly in the camera work that makes him 
you know, play subtle tricks to amp it up um, that are just subliminally there, you know, or just very, very subtly there. Um, but he very much deliberately does not play tricks with the camera work that gives you the feeling because that's the feeling he wants to evoke in the audience. That's the trick he wants to employ. Michael Bay wants to employ the trick of making everything feel um, dramatic and it amping the tension and in swooping around to make everything feel free um, and giving you this sense that you're in the action somehow, right? And what he's doing is he is creating the feeling of being an unemotional observer, of being that robot just watching the scene. So that's his camera trick, right? That's mm. his emotion that he's evoking in the audience. Um, so he's doing the same thing as Michael Bay. He's just doing it towards a different end. Um, and so the entire movie feels like you're just there watching it like uh, Uatu, the watcher in the Marvel comics. You're just watching things just to see, just to see what's going on. And it's great. Highly recommended. Yes, absolutely. It, as long it, as you, as long as you know, you're going in for that, that style of art film. The acting was, of course, excellent and on point. Um, the scenery is is bonk you over the head gorgeous. Um, I, I can't say enough good things about the story. Um, Sounds good. Let's call it, let's wrap it up there. Yeah, I just, I am genuinely bowled over. Um, and I'm not frequently bowled over. Um, you can assume with this movie that everything I'm not talking about is, is good. Uh, good <laughs> to great. And the things I am talking about, I'm, I, there are things in the show that aren't perfect. Um, I'm sure I could find flaws to criticize. I'm not saying it's an absolutely perfect movie, but, uh, but it is, a, it is a great movie and it is very, very, um, it is, it is of its time in the sense that it is of the era of the Viking culture and Viking raids and, uh, it does not shy away from presenting that culture uh, largely as it was, except for the sake of, you know, it's an R-rated movie. So it isn't actually as, it is not gratuitously or grotesquely uh, violent, but it is violent enough to let you know who this culture is. So it uses violence as a, 
as an exclamation point, not as a constant diet, as punctuation for the story. Would you say that's true? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say, I'd also say it like this isn't, like I thought I was getting into when I saw it originally, this isn't an action movie. This isn't going to be action and violence for the sake of action and violence. Yes. So as long as you know that, uh, and uh, and you heard the rest of Warpig's comments, you, you know what you're getting into. Uh, high recommend. High recommend. So I think that's enough for today. Sounds good. Uh, well, thanks for chatting. I, I'm so excited that you got to see that movie and we got to talk about it again. Um, the events in the role-playing games are going nuts. Uh, so I'd love to talk to you guys more about that as things unfold the rest of September and October. And uh, everybody in the chat. Uh, Carlos Carrasco said something really important. I want to get on the record. He said that the people in the movie don't come off as moderns LARPing as Vikings and Danes. Absolutely. That's it. Well said. Well, I interrupted you. Please continue. What? Oh, no, I was just trying to wrap up. Uh, it's, oh. uh, it, it's, it's been really good chatting about this stuff. I'm really excited for um, what's going on in the games. Um, I, don't know, I don't know if you've noticed, but I, all my other media consumption has taken a back seat to that, and I'm good with that probably from now on. Um, there's just too many Resident Evils and Thor loves and thunders in, uh, you know, to, to watch. Uh, but uh, it's been really great fun. I hope everybody who listens later enjoys the play-by-play, um, everything that's uh, going on, and the uh, awful stuff that Warpig subjects himself to for your entertainment. Um, but I'll say uh, I'm done for this week. Have a great week, everybody. And you too, Daddy Warpig. All right. I want to thank everybody who came and listened live. And I want to thank everybody who will listen later. Uh, just a reminder to those of you who are listening, you can catch this show on youtube.com slash geekgab, youtube.com slash geekgab. We are here just about every Saturday at 12 noon mountain time, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. I just realized I never give the time in mountain, but that's my time. So there. Um, and uh, we are also available on the Apple iTunes store, on the um, SoundCloud.com, and on the Google Play store so that you can download us to the device of your choice, listen to us on the web, or uh, download us to your computer because, uh, you know, that's the kind of awesome and uh, chill guys we are. Uh, listen to us wherever you feel like it. We are signing out for today, folks. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.